you are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and Canacurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Monday, May 23rd, 2022. This is episode number 285. I'm Susan Sorries, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's favorite grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 30,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today, we're talking about drugs, sex, and Russian spice in the Kiraleaf lawsuit. Delta 8 is legal hemp, according to a federal court. How legalization changed marketing on Instagram. A study on pain in cancer patients. The cannabis labeling system. Dr. Oz coming out strong against cannabis. What? Miami dropping its ban on medical cannabis retail and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to get you up on the stage. But keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Canavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What you got, Rico? Oh, yeah. Happy Monday, everybody. So my story is originally from Matthew Lowe, a a business insider. It's been recirculated countless times from numerous websites over the weekend. It's all about Dr. Oz. Dr. Oz slams efforts to legalize cannabis, claiming it will make people not want to work. Imagine running for U.S. Senator in a state where you don't have any real history, the people don't know you, and the only place anyone's ever really seen you is from watching trash daytime television. But your good friend and former president says that you should do it. You came through in the clutch, saving his life while in office, struggling with COVID with that hydroxychloroquine treatment you heard about on 8chan that had no real scientific backing, but your gut told you it'd work. Always trust your gut. He took your advice when in need, and now it's time for you to do the same. Somehow, you make it to the final moments of the Republican primary and locked in a virtual tie and automatic recount is triggered. You just might win this shit and face Democrat John Fetterman in the final round. Instead of shutting the fuck up and riding that Trump train to victory, your gut tells you to keep going. Keep speaking your truths, even if those truths are all lies to everyone else. And remember, all things are revealed through that gut. 
even with the chance to champion an economic boom that could possibly create thousands of jobs in your state currently flanked on each side by others making actual millions in tax revenue from your citizens hopping over the border to take advantage. Your gut tells you, nah, bruh, that ain't right. Well, ladies and gents, that's exactly the dilemma going through the mind of Pennsylvania Senate hopeful Dr. Mehmet Oz. Friday, he hopped on the most on the world's most trusted media network, Newsmax, to let the good people know what's up. I'll play this clip real quickly here. It's a doozy. Fetterman has uh, one statewide in Pennsylvania. He's got that going for him. Um, he is a big. He doesn't dress like a normal politician. He's always wearing hoodies and. He wears uh, shorts. Uh, he wants to legalize marijuana, I believe, which essentially, quite frankly, seems to be legal. What is your stance on that, by the way, the marijuana? You know, there are not enough Pennsylvanians to work in Pennsylvania. So giving them pots so they stay home uh, is not, I don't think, an ideal move. I also don't want to breed addiction to marijuana. It's not physical addiction. It's emotional addiction. But I don't want young people to think they have to smoke a joint to get out of their house in the morning. We need to get Pennsylvanians back at work. you got to give them their mojo. And I don't want marijuana to be a hindrance to that. I also don't want people operating heavy machinery uh, and driving by me when they've been taking their fourth joint of the day. But there are other issues that are plaguing Pennsylvanians. We're a border state practically, right? Because they're flying illegal immigrants up here from the border in the middle of the night, these night flights. But they're also getting their narcotics up here really easily. And <laughs> So... Your gut tells you legalization leads to free pot giveaways that lead to joblessness, um, emotional dependency to get out of bed, and taking four joints a day before operating heavy machinery. Got it. Whose man's is this? Oh, yeah. It's Trump's man. And he just might win this shit. I'm interested in seeing what the team's thoughts are on Dr. Oz's 100% bullshit comments, particularly from the Wizard of Oz himself, Mr. Jason Beck. <laughs> Is Rico well, Lee on the street uh, for the State of Cannabis News Hour? What say you, Jason? This, this is a very comical story, and I think people just need to understand the Kabuki Theater in Washington, D.C. And by, by uh, Dr. Oz taking this position, it allows him to take a more progressive position later once he has secured the primary victory. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jason, this, you think this, he's just this is the strategy back? the strategy of flip flopping is uh -huh. okay? That's, that's, yeah. that's not flip flopping, that's called evolving on the issue. Well, I, I, that's called what you say what you got to say to win the primary and typically people say outrageous things to win the primary, but as a former fan of Dr. Oz, I used to watch his show for years back in the day. Because he brought a lot of holistic and integrative medicine um, treatment modalities to mainstream TV audiences. I, I'm, I'm so disappointed in him. I'm so disappointed. Dr. Felicia, could you explain the science behind losing your mojo? That, that comment was so weird. No, no I can't. I'm actually with Dr. Felicia on this. Um, on, 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 on what Dr. Felicia said, I, I, I'm, I'm with her on this. And I think, like I said, I think um, for, the, for the primary position, he needs to take this stance. Once he has, has secured the Republican nomination, then he can evolve on the issue because his uh, competitor in the Democratic uh, position has taken a far, far more progressive approach. So it's going to be easy for him to pivot to take a more marginalized position. What if he doesn't, Jason? Well, get, what if he sticks with it? I doubt that'll happen, Susan. 
But just seeing how how wishwashy is is horrible. It's like he used to he would be the opposite of what he would endorse Trump and all these other things. If you look at where he's come from, and I agree, I did have respect for him, but this really buries it, and it just shows how easily pushed he is around. And that's scary. For uh, it's not. It's not. It's not about being pushed around. It's about. It's about messaging to a certain base. And right now, his base is only Republicans in Pennsylvania. That's the only people that he's talking to. So, well, I, I get where you're where you're coming from, Jason. But as a Republican who is registered to vote in Pennsylvania, I don't need a flip flopping son of a bitch as my senator. I need a man who has some convictions and stands by what he says. I've met Oz in person. I've asked him his stance on cannabis. This was probably a couple months ago, and he was on board then. So uh, from a PR standpoint, I don't know how you keep walking back all this bullshit that he keeps flipping on. He flipped on Roe v. Wade now, um, and now he's against abortion when he was for it a few months ago. I, I, I just, I hate to see that McCormick might possibly be out there because he's a fucking lunatic. But Oz is doing no favors for Pennsylvanians either, and he is not well-liked. Um, and so I think if Oz is the nominee... I don't think he's going to win. McCormick is still winning in the polls right now. Whatever happened to be a person, uh, like being a person of conviction and, and someone you can trust as a doctor. I mean, it's all, this is like it's all about winning. Rico says. It's all about winning. Follow Liz. the money. It's all about winning. Yeah, Liz. What is that about? It's all about winning. Yeah, just, and sometimes, yeah, so, sometimes you have to deliver different messaging at different times. If you want to be a winner. I have a question. I have a question for you, Rico. Uh, when was this interview actually done? Um, Thursday evening. So after the election. So Oz did not need to flip or say fucking anything. Nope. The votes were in. He was feeling himself. Trusted his gut. <laughs> yeah, th- this was not a campaign message. This was after it was done. It's always a campaign message, bro. It's always a campaign message because <laughs> well, you're always campaigning until you're elected, okay? Maybe he's just telling us how he really feels. I, like I, don't, I don't buy that. I buy, I buy the earlier sentiments more of what Gretchen has talked about because I know – I know from previous conversations that uh, friends of others have had with him that is more along the lines of what Gretchen has spoken about. And so for him to, to take a retraction, I don't see it out of the I don't see it out of the scope of politics or the kabuki theater of Washington, D.C. for him to have done this. But which one do you believe? I believe the first. And it's going to live on social media forever. So Doctor- unless you scrape the Internet and have it deleted like Hunter what? Biden's laptop. And we know that Oz what? is not really Republican, <laughs> so it's just all bullshit. Dr. Oz, yeah. Dr. Oz is a quack. He is fake news, and this is media booth. But he's Newsmax is. But he, he's getting his 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 messaging from Trump, though, right? So is this where Trump That's wants to Trump take? Messaging. That's total Trump messaging. Dude, he right totally there. sold out. Is what it is. I don't know if I call it selling oh, out. Oh, oh no. yeah. I mean, what else would you call it, Jason? I mean, the man will say anything to try and get it's position, the nominee. It's exactly. He's 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 fighting to to win the nomination. That's the, that's what politics do. Every why, single politician why on does earth this. Would I vote for someone when I have no idea where they fucking stand? I wouldn't vote for this guy. But you uh, you but, are fake. But about uh, I'd say about like fifty of the seventy million that voted for Trump, they just did it because he said to do it. And people are voting for Dr. Oz because Do- because Trump told him to fucking I don't do think, it. I don't think you can say anywhere that Trump was a flip flopper. He was just batshit, and people what? loved it. What? What did he Trump ever flip flop on? He was he was a Democrat until he ran. He was a Democrat. He was a Democrat. 
a pro-choice Democrat? Well, I have I have a whole theory that Trump was de- sent by the Democrats to destroy the Republican Party. That's just my theory. <laughs> and it's all going to turn on at some point. <laughs> Dr. I, give me that fucking- <laughs> I came up with that one all alone. That's a good one, Gretchen. That is very good. <laughs> let's, let's keep it moving, man. All right. He's the industry's longest continuously running retailer and firm believer in the future evolution of Dr. Mehmet Oz's stance on cannabis leading to joblessness and emotional addiction. <laughs> also the president of Hollywood Cannabis Tourism, an avid lover of mint coats, private jets, and responding to his calling in life, identifying and eradicating the world's supply of boof. Jason Beck, what you got for us this morning, my man? Oh yeah, Rico, today I got some Russian spice. I hope everyone sits down, buckles up, because it's going to get, there's some twists and turns in this story, so I hope everyone stays up to date. The 2020 sale of a troubled Portland marijuana company was best, it was beset by disputes over the price, which fell roughly $600 million amid fighting among investors and the buyer, according to new litigation. Oregon entrepreneur Nitin Khan or Kanana, whatever, something like that, accused of securities fraud earlier this year by some of his former business partners, filed a $516 million counterclaim this week, alleging he was actually the victim of a scheme that reduced the payout of his marijuana business. The Portland Business Journal first <clears throat> reported this week's filing, which lays lays bear the dysfunction and discord that devalued the all-stock transaction and continues to plague the deal. The new new allegations are the latest in a series of scandalous or in a series of scandals that have played Kana's former company, Cura Cannabis, also known as Select Cura, who sold two years ago to Massachusetts company called Cura Leaf, which is among the nation's largest retail adult use marijuana companies. On Thursday, Cura Leaf described Tana's claims as baseless attempts to distract from the securities fraud case against Mr. Kana and his controversial public record. In January, Cura Leaf chairman Boris Jordan filed a suit accusing Kana and other investors of a $60 million securities fraud involving a related CBD company, Centia Wellness. It accused Kana of attracting investments to Centia while hiding the business's true financial condition and falsely claiming Goldman Sachs was working to raise money for the business. Jordan is a Florida billionaire who has, has his fortune helping privatize state industries in the former Soviet Union. He leads Cure Relief with backing from Andre Beloko, a billionaire Moscow a dairy tycoon who holds U.S. citizenship. In this week's counterclaim, Kana, his brother, and two business associates accused Jordan of actions which appear to be the typical type of taxes used by Russian oligarchs. Dun, dun, dun. They allege that Jordan manipulated the fact that he was a shareholder and board member of Cura Leaf, Cura, and Sentia to re- to, to ratchet down the acquisition price for Cura Leaf. He used his position to enrich himself at the expense of Cura Partners and its shareholders, Kana alleges in this week's litigation. Uh, the accusations are complex, but boiled down to this. Cura sold both recreational marijuana and CBD, a hemp-based plant that contains no psychoactive ingredients. After Cura Leaf agreed to buy, to buy Cura, Cura began spinning off its CBD business into Centia. The new litigation claims that Cura Leaf then demanded Cura lower its price for the deal. 
a restructuring the companies attributed to the time of changing market conditions. Cura Partners could not refuse this discounted offer. It had already transferred the other part of the business, the CBD business, to Centia. Um, Kana alleges in this week's litigation. It had only been a few months of cash on hand and the acquisition was in the middle of a regulatory approval process that could extend indefinitely, raising the prospect that Cura Partners would run out of money before the acquisition. Complicating matters even more, Jordan's own investment firm called Measure 8 owned a stake in Cura. Measure 8 threatened to veto Cura Leaf's acquisition of Cura Partners, even though it was led by the same person, Mr. Jordan, who negotiated the deal in the first place. According to this week's uh, counterclaim, it successfully leveraged its veto power to acquire approximately 1.2 million additional shares of Cura Leaf stock to offset the price reductions that Mr. Jordan negotiated. Other investors were unhappy with the lower price, according to the litigation. So to ensure the deal went through, Kana and other shareholders agreed to pay the dissidents additional Curalief shares acquired in the transaction unless they received additional shares triggered by earnout targets for Cura's select brand of recreational marijuana. In the suit, Kana alleges that Jordan canceled select orders and new select products after the acquisition, ensuring the brand didn't meet earnout targets and forcing Kana and his associates to uh, cough up the settlement payments to the other Cura investors. Jordan's poor management of Cura Leaf and his extensive conflicts of interest continue to put Cura Leaf at risk, Kana said in a statement Thursday. He accused Jordan of possible breaches of fiduciary duty and Cura Leaf's uh, Russia ties have become another source of controversy since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Jordan has not condemned the war, instead calling for the combatants to protect citizens on both sides of the conflict. In its statement Thursday, Kirillov did not condemn Russia's invasion, but said that Jordan opposes the violence, bloodshed, and destruction in Ukraine and has called for negotiations to end the war to stop the suffering. Despite the lawsuit allusion to Russia's, Russia's oligarch tactics, Kirillov links to Russia and could have been no surprise to Kana. The connections have been widely reported before Kana took on Jordan and Measure 8 as investors when he was running Portland-based Cura in the years before its sale. Kana stepped down as Cura CEO in 2018 after a woman in the marijuana community highlighted his past rape allegations against him. And in 2014, Kana settled an allegation that he had assaulted his wife's hairdresser on the morning of their of his own wedding, and Kana denied sexual assault and did not face criminal charges. Prosecutors said the DNA evidence showed he had sexual contact sexual contact with the woman, but they, op- they, they opted not to bring charges against Kana after concluding they couldn't prove the contact was non-consensual. Well, this just sounds like a whole big fucking mess. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I really don't know why this uh, that dude didn't just ride off into the sunset to go the fuck away after, um, after he escaped that last case and just, just shut the fuck up fade darkness this is a this is a huge mess i agree with you jason he had sex with the hairdresser on the day of his wedding allegedly yeah so i don't know if everyone remembers this but uh like right in the beginning of legalization right around like mid 2018 there was a big lawsuit um that that involved select cura and this guy con uh as he was the ceo um with rape allegations and i know there was a whole big counter 
culture clash, um, especially yeah. in L.A. against Select. And I know a number of stories start carrying their brand just because of these allegations. Yeah, yeah it's a big deal. I also want to point out, sorry, um, that Select was started on the back ends of in, embezzled money from senior citizens who thought that they were investing into a real estate firm in Oregon. And right before the Cura, the Cura uh, settlement, that case was settled for 50 cents on the dollar. So those senior citizens were only paid back 250000 of the 560000 that Select stole from them. So um, do not buy anything from this company. They need to go away. Buy caught. I love it, Nick. Elise, did you want to weigh in? Yeah, I just wanted to comment that when this was going on in 2018 and women were speaking out about this news story that was buried and um, some of the women from the Ladies of Paradise, which is a Portland group, actually got taken to court and sued by Leaf for libel. And so I just took that as a sign that if they were really trying to threaten, you know, small women activists to cover up this story, that it's probably true. And it was a huge thing back then. And I'm glad that it's not totally buried because it makes me sick every time I hear this brand name. If you Google the story, you can read about the rape and the trauma, and it's absolutely horrifying. We have no room for that in our industry. So I'm sure the blacklist is all over this today. Um, should we keep moving or anyone else have a comment? All right. Well, coming up next, she's an original breeder with a golden bong. From California to Michigan and now back to Cali. From the D to the OC, she brought it back, back to Cali. Cali, y'all, CEO of the Original Breeders League and mother of two with the ability to spawn more due to her fertilian breeding abilities. That's right. It's Priscilla Agoncillo. What do you have this morning for us? Hi, <laughs> Jason. Thank you so much, everyone. Uh, so rolling off of that story is uh, uh, my story um, from uh, uh, Marijuana Moment. It's marijuana legalization drastically changed uh, according to a cannabis marketing study on Instagram. The marijuana legalization movement has drastically changed the social media landscape for cannabis marketing, according to a new research paper that focused on Instagram trends. Male-dominated anonymous profiles have been a hallmark of illicit markets. Researchers found that women are becoming the key influencers promoting cannabis through lifestyle-driven posts. The study published last month in Crime Media Culture, an international journal, compared the profiles of 60 seemingly illicit sellers in Switzerland to 70 cannabis influencer profiles in the U.S., and they analyzed the visual and text-based differences. Findings show that cannabis influencers on Instagram are changing the stereotypical characteristics of illegal cannabis culture as being almost entirely dominated by men, to one where cannabis is represented as a desirable accessory in certain feminine lifestyles. The role in transforming cannabis culture to become more mainstream and acceptable for women could potentially affect cannabis cultures globally, as well as ongoing legalization debates. Marketing cannabis on social media networks like Instagram is still a challenge under federal prohibition because companies are wary of being indirectly involved in illegal commerce, even if products are being promoted to people living in legal cannabis states. So uh, when marketing uh, cannabis um, and it's marketed by legal influencers rather than the illicit ones, we find a shift in the use of symbols related to amateurism versus professionalism, intimacy, and lifestyle, and argue that these 
these changes are bound up with how the influencers do gender differently than sellers. Women's role in mainstream cannabis is critical to marketing, and it's no longer restricted to just sales to men, which previously only featured women mainly in uh, promotions like Cannabis of the Girl Month or uh, beauty pageants for, you know, the title Miss Cannabis. As influencers, women take an active role in making cannabis mainstream by relating cannabis use and products to their everyday activities. We see a push within marked and culture towards changing the traditional cannabis culture of hippie pot smokers to also include motherhood health, exercising, high-end city living, and other mainstream values. So this is some incredible, although already known findings uh, that this study has revealed about the significance of women's involvement and leadership in cannabis. This is Priscilla happily reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Yes, take it away from the bro culture. I love this story. Um, I'm glad to hear that they think it's easier, but I'm not sure if it is. Definitely not easier, for sure. <laughs> but, I mean, I think with the the influx of women, um, mothers speaking out about how, you know, it has changed their lives, um, it has brought a completely new light to uh, cannabis and how it's received on uh, social media. I think this is, I must say go women, because I think this shows how we're, the switch of mainstream is we're looking at it more towards wellness, and I think that's what allows it to move forward in a lot of ways. A lot of people who are not really pro-cannabis see it helping people, and, uh, you know, they know, and their family members, and are more likely to do that. And I think women, and speaking on a wellness thing, has really moved all of this forward, in addition to the money behind it. But we love our dope dads. Yeah. In the last few seconds, I just wanted to say, I think that that's great because it was like not okay with parenting. People were always afraid of their children being taken away from them. So I think that this is good also to see. All right, up next. She splits days and nights between political strategy and baking delicious treats. But don't be fooled by the apron and oven mitts because she's also a full-time feisty redheaded conservative with Mayflower roots, never scared of a verbal cage match with libs across the aisle. Up next is the founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own Washington insider, Gretchen Gailey. What you got for us today, Gretchen? Uh, good afternoon, Rico. My headline is coming from Marijuana Moment. Uh, Delta-8 THC products are federally legal, just like hemp, according to an appeals court. Uh, the federal legalization of hemp through the 2018 Farm Bill removed restrictions on a wide range of molecules produced by the cannabis plant, including a new court ruling, says the psychoactive cannabinoid Delta-8 THC. A panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit wrote in an opinion published Thursday that products containing Delta-8 THC are generally legal because federal law defines hemp as, quote, any part of the cannabis plant, including all derivatives, extracts, and cannabinoids that contain less than 0.3% Delta-9 THC by weight. The law, the court said in a 3-0 to zero ruling, is silent with regard to Delta-8 THC. Delta-9, often referred to simply as THC, is the most abundant psychoactive cannabinoid in marijuana, and remains federally illegal, classified as a Schedule One controlled substance. By contrast, Delta-8 THC typically occurs in only trace amounts in the cannabis plant. Current cultivation and manufacturing techniques, however, allow for so-called minor cannabinoids to be concentrated from hemp plants and refined into consumer products. 
And Delta ATHC products have surged in popularity in recent years, especially in states where mar marijuana remains illegal. Like its more famous counterpart, Delta ATHC also has psychoactive properties, although proponents say the experience is generally more subdued and has gentler side effects than Delta 9 THC. Health officials and even some advocates of marijuana legalization, however, say far less is known about the health impacts or potential risks of Delta ATHC. The Ninth Circuit panel, for its part, noted that although Delta ATHC has psychoactive and intoxicating effects, it falls within the federal law's definition of hemp and it's therefore legal. Regardless of the wisdom of legalizing Delta ATHC products, this court will not substitute its own policy judgment for that of Congress. Uh, this is what Judge Michael Fisher wrote uh, for the three judge panel. Um, all three, just side note, were appointed by Republican presidents. Uh, they said, if lawmakers inadvertently created a loophole and didn't intend to legalize psychoactive substances such as Delta ATHC, then it is for Congress to fix its mistake. Um, I would love to hear from, I know folks in this audience are definitely not fans of Delta 8. Um, and I'm just wondering what people think this will do to the industry um, if truly Delta 8 is intent, they decide to make it legal. Uh, this is Gretchen from State of Canvas News Hour. Are you going to sell Delta 8, Jason? Make Delta 8 great again. No, Delta 8 is a fucking pipe dream, okay? <clears throat> and the fact that they gave this ruling is just total, um, just total ridiculousness because it's not a naturally occurring substance in the cannabis plant. It is, it is, a, it is a synthetic man-made ingredient. And so I'm just, this is fucking stupid. Well, it does occur naturally in the plant, just in Delta much eight does not. Amounts. Delta 8 does not occur naturally in the plant. Yes, it does. No, I'm not buying that. No. I thought it was so interesting that for years and years we, we thought that governments were so much, so far they're ahead of us by, by being so specific about Delta 9, Delta 9, and it, and it seemed like they were so sophisticated in their understanding. And now we realize that they are, it's completely the opposite, that they're so far behind that now they're going to have to scramble and fix their legislation. And this is worldwide because this is written in the United Nations Charter and all these things. So. And to, and to answer your question, Gretchen, I think if they don't regulate Delta 8, it will hurt the industry. It will hurt the cannabis industry. 100%. Why wouldn't you? regulate Delta 8 out of existence. But they're not, is yeah, the point. They will. And just, just wait. Just wait. No, they will. Not, that that might not happen. What, made that, what, where do you think oxycodone but certain came states from? Have also banned opium. It. Come on. I mean, the, the synthetic stuff is... Uh, catnip for for pharma and everybody else they're gonna love it it's totally i thought plant derived product. i thought it was supposed to be that plant derived was okay but this uh you know, it is it is i think these justices thought that the delta eight was plant derived and not a synthetic base and so i think that they they messed up on their ruling well no if you look at what they said they said all derivatives extracts and cannabinoids and dr felicia is extremely correct that delta eight does exist in the plant um, and so if these guys can pull it out and make it what it is, then that's on. But that's not that, that's not how they get Delta 8, though. That's how all these Delta 8 products are not are not made by extracting Delta 8 out of the plant. OK, it's a it's a whole separate other process that goes into doing so, that. So it just magically appears. I mean, no, if you how actually get it, it comes no, from him, yeah. Yeah. Gretchen, if you um, it, it only uh, it appears in the plant, but it's in like a minuscule amount. It's usually barely measurable because all of it is switched to Delta I understand 9. So that. Get it. The key word in this ruling is all derivatives it doesn't say only if it's in a whole shit ton amount that it's i mean it doesn't matter that it's, it's not it's, it's not an it's not an extractable amount apparently it is 
Someone's extracting it. It's very no, extractable. they're switching it. No, it's being converted. Not, it's just being converted. Yeah, they're not extracting it. They're changing so, it. So, Liz, lab. are you telling me that Delta-8 is all totally synthetic? None of it's coming from the plant. Every, all the Delta-8 on the market that is available to anyone is all synthetic. Exactly. Yeah. 100 fucking percent. None of it comes from hemp at all? None of it? No, well, here's the thing. It literally appears in the plant in like 0.00000 percentage. So it's like, yeah, it might be in there, but there's such a tiny percentage, it's almost unmeasurable. So, so it's like alchemy. So you can get gold out of lead. It's that kind of concept. Yes. So we've, so we've, we've got- performed magic. Amazing. And like I said, I anticipate this, this, uh, this, this judge getting his ruling overturned at some point. Well, without regulations, they're looking at, they're making a shit ton of money, but we've, we've got Vlad up from the audience, and I think uh, we're at time. Vlad, did you want to weigh in? Oh, Vlad, you're muted. Yo. There we Yo, go. Sorry, I'm just making my coffee right now. I was listening to what you guys were. All right. Bye, Vlad. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, thanks, <laughs> thanks for sharing your coffee moment with us. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Let's keep some, uh, oh, shit. We need to relight this room. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any exceptions in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised. Let's keep smoking the news. All right, this pinup girl isn't just your ordinary man cave wallpaper. She's an all-around data cruncher that's known a thing or two about numbers and shit. An educator, brand strategist, healthcare consultant, and founder of the Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County. It's Liz Rogan. What do you have this morning for us, Liz? Good. Happy Monday, everyone. Good morning and good afternoon, and thanks for joining us. My story today comes from the Jerusalem Post, and it's written by their staff. The headline is Medical Cannabis Shown to Reduce Pain in Cancer Patients, says a study. So Israel itself has mixed messages on cannabis. Despite the majority of the cannabis research coming out of Israel and the health ministry saying that the country has the highest rate of cannabis patients in relation to the population, they still consider cannabis dangerous and they don't officially recognize it as a medication. Yet, it is also allowed for specific medical usage, and it's, but it's, and it's illegal, but it's partially decriminalized for recreational use, um, and usually they won't enforce it by the authorities unless it's over 15 grams or you're using it outside your house. And in March, they were, in our news hour, we spoke about how they were uh, looking at expunging the criminal records of those convicted of personal possession or use. So a little bit all over the place with that, but this new research, which is published on Friday in the Frontiers of Pain Research, reported that medical cannabis is really effective in the battle against cancer pain specifically, a lot of other symptoms also. So as a peer-reviewed study, it found that uh, most cancer patients, their pain levels did uh, improve significantly and other symptoms decreased with the use of cannabis. Cancer patients often experience a lot of symptoms like depression, anxiety, insomnia, and like a lot of pain during the treatment. It's really hard on their quality of life and it can really affect the prognosis. This is those, you know, everything is holistic with cancer treatment. So Dr. David Meary, who's an assistant professor at the Technion Israel Institute of Technology said, 
quote, traditionally cancer-related pain is mainly treated by opioid analgesics, but most oncologists perceive opioid treatment as hazardous, so alternative therapies are required. They mentioned fentanyl, which is highly addictive and can often lead to death by overdose, but it's something that's used a lot for cancer pain. In this research, they uh, got certified oncologists to assist in it who reported on symptoms and disease characteristics with some of their patients. There was anonymous questionnaires that um, started before treatment and again at several points during um, the six-month time. The data they looked at was basically pain measures, um, pain uh, analgesics consumption, so other uh, medications taken with that, the cancer symptoms burden, sexual problems, and other side effects. So they did look at other things aside from cannabis. So they said the study was very comprehensive and looked at additional perspectives on medical cannabis, like the sex, age, ethnicity, as other cancer types, and the stage of cancer meant the varieties, like the patients in the study were wide ranging, but it also pulls in a lot of other potential correlations and variables. So they're saying that future studies should look at the level of effectiveness in specific subgroups of cancer patients who have similar characteristics overall, so they can have a little more conclusive research. But I think this is just one more, uh, you know, mark on the notch saying, yep, cannabis is great for uh, treating all of these symptoms. The endocannabinoid system is amazing. The things that we're still looking to find in these cannabinoids, it's we see a we see a few trees and there's a forest out there. So I think as we learn how they upregulate and downregulate, uh, there's so much more to be said, but here's some published data for those, uh, those people who don't believe it. So this is Liz Rogan reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Did they say if it helped with their mojo? Well, I think mental state is mojo for sure. So definitely help with the mental state. That's right. I'm happy to see this study, Liz. Thank you for sharing it with us because we often hear about, you know, cannabis helping with nausea, vomiting, sleep, anxiety, depression, but we don't hear a whole lot about the pain of, uh, ca of cancer and how it can help with that. So I, I really appreciate this research. Someone needs to tell Joe Biden. Do you think he'll hear it? Man, he needs to. Only if, only if someone in his uh, close family deals with it. But I think from looking at his sons, um, they're looking at other, other choices of analgesics. They're looking at everything other than, other than that. <laughs> Yeah, Somebody, I, I like to, I'm Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> Just keep it moving. He's an amazing storyteller with a smoother delivery than a DoorDash delivery on a hungover Sunday afternoon. It's probably because he's Superman of the sesh, but until we get concrete proof, we'll stick to that Clark Kent story. All about getting good informational access to the people as a communication strategist and publisher at the Daily Bugle, excuse me, American Cannabis Report. Up next... It's Christopher Smith. What you got for us today, my man? Thank you, Rico. That's terrific. Uh, good morning, Susan and Jason. My story is from 420 Magazine. Miami drops ban on MMJ dispensaries in city limits. So six, count them. Six years ago, Florida legalized medicinal cannabis. The industry flourished, and Florida now has one of the highest revenue totals in our industry. No thanks to Miami. Miami's attorneys had argued that federal law categorizing marijuana as an illegal drug trumps a 2016 statewide referendum that amended Florida's constitution to legalize a me uh, medical marijuana market. 
State law allows cities to ban dispensaries or regulate them as if they were pharmacies. Miami chose to do neither and insisted, or neither, and insisted a conflict between state and federal laws needed to be clarified first. Well, dum-dums, that was wrong then and it's wrong now. And finally, with a vote of three to two, the city is set to allow the first cannabis company called MRC44 to get a new dispensary up and running. Problem is, they don't know where. That's because during all this time, the dum-dums were so sure they were doing the right thing, they have no regulations ready, such as how far a dispensary needs to be from community centers and whatnot. The owner still has to go through the typical permitting process to open a business, which could take some time, so it's unclear how soon a dispensary could open. And in, in anticipation of a wave of applications, commissioners are expected to soon review the city's zoning code and debate ways to regulate where dispensaries can open. Uh, uh, Commissioners Joe Carollo and Manolo Reyes voted against the measure, with both insisting that the city could be opening the floodgates without approving regulation plan first. Uh, Carollo said, I'm of the opinion that before we move forward in voting for this, we need to establish an ordinance uh, about what are the procedures and guidelines for someone to open up such an establishment. Otherwise, he says, we're kind of making this into a sort of Cheech and Chong free-for-all. And Reyes added, you know how it is. They're going to be all over. Wherever you go there and they are permitted, you see people smoking pot in the streets. Yep. All right, dum-dums, just like Dr. Oz says. The sky is full mentality in Miami's legislature is quite perplexing to me, considering we all know that Miami is one of America's drug capitals. We all know Sonny Crockett and Rico Tubbs have it under control. But finally, patients will be able to get their medicine without going outside city limits. And I'm done speaking. Maybe this will change like the whole vibe of Miami in a lot of ways, like calm it down a little bit. It sounds like they could all use a little they bit. Got too much cocaine. I hope not. I hope not. Too much cocaine in Miami to calm that shit down. Miami is turned up and needs to stay turned the fuck up. Yeah, but all these people, like all the politicians and stuff are trying to shut it down and give them curfews. So it's like, let's just try to balance it out with a little crossfade there. A little cocaine and uh, weed? Just go to 11 when you're in Miami. You'll be all right. You can bring your can of bumps along. <laughs> yeah. Nothing else from Miami? Well, just the Cheech and Chong free-for-all. That is not Miami. That's so stupid. But let's keep smoking the news. All right. You got you all right, Rico? You okay? I'm right? good. You got this one? All right. Yeah, of course. One visit to this office is sure to get you access to all kinds of blue pills. All shapes, sizes, and colors are always included and welcome in this safe space. She's the Plants for Life CEO and dual board certified physician, always promoting cannabis as medicine. And if you play your cards right, she'll mix some yellow ones with your blue ones to make a greener experience. Coming next to the stage is Dr. Felicia Dawson. What kind of medicine do you have for us this morning, doctor? Thank you, Jason. I have a trigger warning for anyone who has lost a loved one to drug overdose. Happy Monday, everyone. My headline comes from the Aspen Times. Thousands of Colorado patients put in peril due to risky prescribing of psych medicine by Christopher Usher, Evan Wyloge, and the Gazette. Gene Estes implored his son Shane to go to the emergency room that day, fearful he was having another reaction to his psychiatric medication. Shane was forgetful, dropping things throughout the day, combative, disoriented during simple conversations. But Shane, 33, brushed off his father's concerns as an overreaction. He jumped out of the car after the two argued at the post office and took off walking to his apartment. 
That was the last time the father would see his son alive. He found Shane the next morning on October 17, 2020, dead in his bed, lying on top of sheets and still clothed. About six months after Shane's death, another psychiatrist working at the facility uh, where he gets his care filed a complaint with a state oversight contractor alleging potentially fatal prescribing of benzodiazepines. After an investigation, Dr. Thomas Newton resigned in May 2021. The investigation found he engaged in aberrant prescribing of benzodiazepines, the same drug he had prescribed Shane Estes. It's a drug that the father now suspects caused Shane to overdose while sleeping. However, he has no definitive answer. Shane's autopsy concluded that he probably died from an accidental overdose of Kratom, though benzodiazepines and other drugs were found in his body. And in my personal opinion, I doubt that the autopsy conclusion was correct, as you cannot uh, die from respiratory depression from Kratom. The article goes on to state how Colorado has a broken, broken system. Benzodiazepines are anti-anxiety drugs, which brand names include Valium, Xanax, and Ativan. And benzodiazepine use has doubled over the past two years in the shadows of, co of the COVID pandemic. There are dozens of practitioners who prescribe benzodiazepines even more heavily than Dr. Newton. The Gazette also found heavy prescribing of benzodiazepines to Colorado nursing home residents, despite the fact that these medications put the elderly at an increased risk of disorientation, falls, and broken bones. One of the physicians working with nursing home residents in Colorado states that the drug is used to cover up staff shortages and to inappropriately sedate restless residents. In fact, nursing home administrators have been known to fire physicians who do not prescribe benzodiazepines to, to sedate residents to their liking. The article goes on to talk about other individual physicians who are overprescribing and how the state plans to red remedy the situation. While this article does not mention cannabis specifically, it's ironic that this problem exists in a state like Colorado, which is a legal market for the plant. Benzodiazepines work by helping the neurotransmitter GABA bind to its receptor in the brain more tightly, which causes sedation. Do you know what else helps GABA bind to its receptor? CBD, which is in cannabis, as well as epigenin, which is a flavonoid in cannabis. CBD also helps GABA bind to its receptor more tightly, and the flavonoid epigenin doesn't even need GABA. It, it actually binds directly to the GABA receptor, causing sedation. This story not only highlights the recklessness of physicians and nursing home administrators, it shows how many seniors don't have access to cannabis because it's illegal on the federal level, and Medicaid, Medicare won't pay for it. This is Dr. Felicia Dawson reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Are there any Coloradans in the audience who have experiences similar to this that are discussed in the article? I don't like the way they're coming after Kratom in this article. That's ridiculous. I've taken quite a bit of Kratom for pain and never felt any side just, effects. Just because you take it, the whole world should be able to have it? It is a plant-based medicine that is highly effective not very addictive. I mean, it's more effective. Is there any peer-reviewed studies showing its effectiveness? Not on cannabis. Either. Well, there's, there's definitely preclinical work. And interestingly, there are no deaths really reported in Southeast Asia where it comes from, but only in Europe and in the United States. So that leads me to think that if anybody's, the Kratom may be adulterated or something like that. But typically, as the years go by, you can get cleaner and cleaner sources of it. I wonder if Dr. Oz would recommend Kratom. <laughs> Yeah, but only if he's allowed to change next week. 
Ooh. Doesn't sound like there's too much money behind Kratom, or at least that they're willing to step out with, so probably not. Definitely not, especially if you look on WhatsApp app and all the strange, uh, weird uh, messages you get from the Indonesian community trying to sell you Kratom kilos. Like, no joke. I, I got offered, like, like kilos of fucking Kratom on Facebook by some Indonesian kids. That's fucking home get, right now. Dude, I get them on my WhatsApp <laughs> all the time from, like, these random fucking weird-ass numbers. You guys, it really works. It really does. It's more effective for me, for my muscle spasms, than oxycodone. So... Well, Dr. Felicia, uh, I want to say thank you for bringing this article. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important to look after our elders in every way and try to make sure that they have access to good plant-based medicine. If they can have it and if it can help them avoid this kind of tragedy, I think that would be better for all of us and all our families. So thank you. Amen. Thank and we've you. got Green Green Centaur up. I've been wondering what this logo is. Did you want to weigh in on this? You got the last word. We need to move. It's awesome. We're a different abilities foundation here over uh, seven years in the Bay Area, Northern Bay nonprofit. Uh, but yes, the benzenine uh, issue that was brought up is interesting because doctors seem to work more towards their kickbacks at the facility. And I think that needs to be more investigated. And I think that's probably, probably partially the reason that the doctors were fired for that reason, because they're looking more at the kickback, I think, these days more than the health, taking care of their overhead. Follow the money. In the rearview mirror, a uniform, issue gun, and a badge. But that was the past, for real, y'all. Currently, he's a security consultant at CC Security Solutions, a dope dad, and our go-to source for law enforcement. Up next, and here to increase your chances of survivability, is Chris Eggers. What you got for us today, my man? Good morning, fellow dope dad, Rico, Susan, Jason, Liz, everybody else on stage, everyone in the audience. Happy Monday. My article today comes out of the Daily Press. The headline reads, DA charging, quotes conspirators for underground pot farm in Newberry Springs. The chief prosecutor of San Bernardino County is criminally charging nearly a dozen folks after uh, an alleged conspirators for running a massive pot farm underground in a rural alcove of the high desert. The office of the district attorney, Jason Anderson, announced last Friday has filed charges against 11 people, quote, in connection to an industrial-sized subterranean illegal marijuana grow in Newberry Springs. The extent of the county's charges is unclear, according to this article, but a successful prosecution would perhaps be the biggest score yet in nine months of mass raids and illicit goods seizures by the sheriff's operation Hammer Strike. Uh, Sheriff Dickus led the launch of the operation soon after being appointed sheriff amid calls to crack down on illegal cannabis grows by residents. In Newberry Springs, which is uh, home to less than 3,000 people and roughly 20 miles east of Barstow, is another incorporated community where residents say illegal farms have been sprouting up at exponential rates in recent years. The newly discovered and newly announced charges stem from the discovery of the largest Subterranean below-ground marijuana grow in our county spanning over 14,000 square feet, according to the DA's office. It also alleges that a processing warehouse and other properties were used in conjunction with the selling, manufacturing, and distribution of cannabis from this underground site in Newberry Springs. The Sheriff's Office hammer strike teams, as of April 24th, have arrested this is crazy. More than 880 people through eight months of raids and hundreds of suspected illegal cannabis grows, according to the Daily Press and analysis of the Sheriff's Department's disclosures. Okay, and then the majority of the arrests have not resulted in jail bookings. They've instead produced citations and same-day releases as required by California's Prop 64, which in 2016 made all illegal cannabis farming a misdemeanor. 
Did we lose Chris? I lost him. Lost him. Chris. Chris, where are you? I think this. I think it's just the sheriff trying to dick us right now. Exactly. Identified 29 hammer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Chris, we lost you for a minute. Yeah. Oh, sorry about that. The department has, has identified 29 hammer strike uh, arrests as residents of Newberry Springs. Um, and they say, that, I think this is the part where he lost me. Some of the residents and public officials say the license uh, lack of licensing is the reason for the illegal pot farms that have been surging uh, throughout the high desert. I was uh, kind of shocked to see the amount of people arrested was more than 800, approaching 900 people through this hammer strike operation as of April 24th. Um, curious if anybody in the audience is from San Bernardino County and can comment on this article. Uh, I've reported on similar articles in the past and wanted to share this uh, today. My name is Chris Eggers. Thank you for allowing me to report for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Chris, just for future stories, when you refer to San Bernardino County, it is actually San Bernadubi County. Duly, duly noted. Thank you for that, uh, for that correction, Jason. Duly noted. Duly noted. What did they get? They got. They just were charged, and they just were fined. What did They're, they get? It's actually unclear. According to this article, there's 11 folks that are charged, and uh, they didn't list out the charges. So, unsure if these folks are, were booked or cited and released. That's surprising did, did that they would go to the trouble of arresting did, 800 people, and they can't even charge them with anything. Did it mention that it's that that this is part of a continuing, ongoing investigation or anything like that, along that nature? It didn't say specifically, but I'm sure that it is. Um, it references the Operation Hammer Strike, which this uh, particular incident falls under. So I, I would imagine that they are uh, increasingly looking to charge additional folks here. And what's the sheriff's name again, Chris? Dickus. Can you use that in the <laughs> sentence, please? <laughs> yes. Uh, San Bernadubi's sheriff's last name is Dickus. Yeah. He's not trying to dick us around. How was that, Jason? Was that pretty He's good? not trying to dick us around. I'm really not. <laughs> how, how how long? I mean, how long are these guys going to get smacked with the RICO until these guys get smacked with the RICO when we get federal legalization? Are they just setting them up? Let's keep smoking the news. We've got to get a daily story in. Let's go, Jason. All right, coming up next, she's the CMO of award-winning tech platform Event High, co-host of the groundbreaking women-focused Blunt Brunch event series. And taking us home today, it's Adelia Carrillo. Good morning, everyone. Uh, today's title is, Could Consuming Cannabis in Special Cafes Discourage People from Driving Impaired? This is by Jason Thur of The Globe and Mail. Uh, the government of British Columbia is considering allowing recreational cannabis consumption spaces and has launched a public consultation on the topic. Uh, consumption spaces could provide an opportunity for the sector to become more economically viable and could be and could better meet the interests of people who use cannabis. Mike Fars Farnsworth, the province's Minister of Public Safety, said in a Wednesday news release. However, at the same time, others have raised public health and safety concerns, which will need to be carefully weighed. Uh, and they want to hear the views of all British Columbians so they can help shape how BC's cannabis sector continues to evolve. Now, currently, BC's current legal framework only allows licensed and authorized retail stores to sell cannabis and bans on-site use. Uh, 
The creation of consumption spaces could actually change that though, allowing things like consumption areas at retail stores, tours of cannabis farms with a sampling component, cannabis cooking classes, cannabis gardens at music festivals, um, or even the sale of cannabis beverages at restaurants. Now, the discussion paper says allowing consumption spaces could help build a cannabis tourism industry while helping producers showcase their products and build their brands. The article, though, did have a focus outlining both sides. Uh, potentially, the spaces would sell cannabis and have staff trained to recognize if, if customers are showing signs of cannabis impairment and keep them from driving. Um, this was stated by Eric of Mothers Against Drunk Driving uh, Canada's legal director. So he somewhat agrees that this could be a right path because people would be aware of impairment. Um, it is possible that this could also lead to more impaired driving as well, though. Um, you know, people at music festivals, he stated, smoke weed and they've been doing it for 50 years, but now we would have staff who are trained to stop them. Um, from April 6th to May 9th, the BC asked the public through an online survey, survey whether the province should allow public spaces where people can consume non-medicinal cannabis, and if so, how they should be regulated. The poll is now closed and the results will be posted in the fall. Um, but some of the points that were made, you know, businesses and event organizers would have to select alcohol or cannabis, not both. Um, MAD also wants to see the province bring administrative penalties for, for drug impairment in line with penalties for alcohol. As of right now, you actually, uh, if you are pulled over for uh, impairment with alcohol, you receive a three-day driver's license suspension on the spot. Uh, the offer, at the officer's discretion, your vehicle can also be impounded. Whereas drug-impaired uh, driving, you would have a 24-hour license suspension and uh, at the officer's discretion, a 24-hour vehicle seizure. Um, so they want to see that to be equally um, uh, equally penalized. Also, what was brought up was extra tax dollars. Uh, according to the discussion paper in 2020, statistics show that about uh, $936 million was spent on non-medicinal cannabis. About 55% um, percent came from the illicit market. Uh, others are worried that, um, actually I'm going to skip this because I already talked about it, it was going back into the impairment of driving. Now Canadians are doing their research though and they're looking at America, um, however they do think that we too are also too early in inception. Um, Colorado has public consumption permits but the first cannabis lounge just opened so we don't know its impact. Becky Inati, uh, MAD Director of Communications said in an email, on-premises on cannabis consumption permit holders are required to share information with customers customers about impaired driving and permit holders are prohibited from having both a cannabis permit and an alcohol permit. So no dual consumption is allowed on site. Now with this being a conversation that is happening over the U.S. as well, what is your opinion on this approach um, and should countries and states take or what approach should countries and states take uh, when it comes to cannabis consumption lounges? This is Adelia and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Thank you That's Adelia. That's a great, it's a great story. And let's take this conversation over to Instagram because we've reached the top of the hour. That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show, anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. Thank you, Rico and Jason, for co-producing the show and our pinup girl, Liz Rogan. Thank you, audience, for being in our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour. 
where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Bye. <laughs> so that's one. Happy Monday.